Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hello, everyone. Welcome in. We are continuing through the New Testament and we are trucking our way through 1 Corinthians. So uh, we are starting off in chapter 12, which is a new uh, section, new topic. And uh, Paul starts talking about spiritual gifts, yeah. which is interesting because I, I, I'm thinking First Corinthians is an earlier letter of his, right? So this is one of the first times in his letters that he's talking about this, not not to give away other letters where he yeah. talks about it, but I'm th- thinking this is one of the first times we have it on yeah. paper, right? Yeah. And speaking of spiritual gifts, did you, did, did you get what you wanted for Christmas? I did. I got um, a puppy and I got uh, <laughs> an, an, a Nintendo. <laughs> All the things I wanted when I was. What did you do for New Year's? Uh, well, I'm an old man now, so I was asleep by nine fifteen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, about, what about you? Anything? And uh, does it even feel like Christmas in Arizona when it's still 100 degrees out? I'm freezing. That's why I'm inside the house tonight. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, it's like 55 out right now. It's like oh I'm wow, miserable. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> miserable. Yeah. So, yeah. so and I haven't. I didn't get anything for Christmas yet. You didn't get the gift I sent you. No. No. Oh, dang it. Yeah. So yeah, it must have sent them my old address. I, I need to remember to order it just next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I have to click actually. Oh yeah. I <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to purchase. Yeah. Purchase. I put it in my cart. I was yeah. thinking of you. <laughs> exactly. All right. So let's pop into chapter 12 where Paul starts talking about spiritual gifts. What do we got going on in here? Well, we have a new uh, phrase where he says, now concerning, again, depending on your translation. So that indicates a new topic. Uh, and he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. And it indicates a topic that Paul is responding to their letter. So they wrote to him. And if you remember our last session, we discussed communion. And there was no now concerning. It, it didn't look like they had brought that up to Paul. That Paul intentionally brought that up to them. Said, hey, by the way, the way you're treating one another, you know, that's why you're getting sick and dying at communion. But uh, so now we have this now concerning spiritual gifts, and it's a, it's a change in topic. But I think it's important for us to recognize that these topics all relate to one another. So just because he's transitioned from uh, the previous topic in chapter eight now to now to spiritual gifts, it doesn't mean that uh, it's all it's all brand new and unrelated to what's happening before. So in chapter 12. Again, it's hard to figure out exactly what the problem was in Corinth. And so we kind of have to take what we have from the text and, and do, do our best with it. But it appears that some were thought that their understanding of spiritual gifts was such that uh, they were worthy and maybe even more important and maybe more honorable than others. And instead of honoring those who were lesser in the least. So like in chapter 12, verse 22, it says, uh, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. Uh, there you go. There's Paul's response. See? You guys are calling these guys weaker, but they're necessary. That'll be fun to look at in a, in a little bit. And then verse 21 of chapter 12 also, he says, and the head cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. So it just seems like some were taking spiritual gifts and elevating their own spiritual status and neglecting others and overlooking others. Yeah. We should note, though, that chapter 13, which is if you've yeah. ever been to a, a wedding, I was going to say a funeral, <laughs> but it's probably more appropriate than it's read at a wedding. Uh, it's this love chapter, right? But this has something to do with what's happening in the spiritual gifts. Uh, it, it, Paul didn't write chapter 13 because they needed a now concerning weddings. Uh, like Paul doesn't say that, right? <laughs> this yeah. is actually connected to the spiritual gift passages. Yeah. In fact, what's what's very significant is the fact that the spiritual gift conversation is 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 14. Mm-hmm. 
And then the love chapter is in the middle. And the answer is no, the spiritual gift conversation is chapters 12, 13, and 14. Yes. So what we call the love chapter can't be taken out of First Corinthians as though it's like a standalone. It's in the middle of this context of this discussion of spiritual gifts. So for example, verses one and two of chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries. And so you can see discussion of love is brought into the conversation of, of spiritual gifts. And look at uh, verse eight, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, they'll be done away. Very important to recognize the fact that the love chapter is centered in the middle of this conversation on spiritual gifts. And to understand what Paul is getting at with spiritual gifts, we're going to have to discuss how the love chapter fits into that, which we won't get to tonight, uh, but uh, we will certainly in our next episode. Yeah. And while I noted earlier that this is one of the first times we see Paul writing about gifts, obviously the church knew that gifts existed because he's yeah. acknowledging that they they are happening. And he's actually acknowledging, or he's, he's saying that there's an abuse of gifts, right. um, and especially with an emphasis being placed on tongues over other things. Yes. As we look at these chapters, chapter 12 is going to emphasize the diversity of gifts and, and the necessity of the diversity of gifts for the unity of the body. Because whatever they were doing, they were isolating a few gifts. And it seems perhaps that when you look at chapter 12, maybe more people had the gift of, of tongues. And it, was, it was more common, more prevalent. And so some of these guys had this spiritual gift and they thought of themselves as speaking in the, the language of the angels or this mm -hmm. angelic language. And that it was proof of their spirituality, proof of, of their identity or whatever it might be um, there. So Paul's like, yeah, well, that's all great, but we also need these other gifts too. And in chapter 14, when he talks about spiritual gifts, it's all going to be about tongues versus prophecy. So we'll look at that. Chapter 13, though, is then is the fact that if you don't even use tongues within the context of love, and love is seeking the interests of others and seeking mm -hmm. the, the betterment of others and the well-being of others, and love does not seek its own, as Paul says, uh, then tongues, if especially if it's not translated, as, as we'll get into chapter 14, if it's not translated, it doesn't, it doesn't edify anybody. So it's it's the lowest kind of on the totem pole. So uh, it seems that they were you know, kind of defining themselves as spiritual based on their ability to speak in tongues. And Paul's kind of speaking at this going, you know, uh, I'm not sure that that's really a mark of uh, spirituality and what have you. Uh, what's really most important is, of course, whether we're doing things to edify the body of Christ. Yeah. So you want to look at the first uh, few verses? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, so let me read out verses one through six. Okay. Of chapter 12. Okay. Of chapter 12. Are you going to do this in tongues or are you going to do this in English? I, I'm a Baptist, so we don't do this sometimes. <laughs> okay. right, yeah. I'm Presbyterian. Uh, yeah, we're yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this one is a, gonna, we're yeah. just the frozen chosen over here, buddy. <laughs> Now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, uh, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Uh, Paul begins by saying, okay, the first issue is a source. When you are pagans, you follow mute idols, you know, idols that, that didn't speak. And Isaiah, the book of Isaiah kind of, and some of the prophets kind of mock 
the idea of actual idol idolatry itself because the idols themselves can't speak and their eyes are glossed over and they can't see and so paul's first response though is uh, when you follow these mute idols the utterance itself whether it came wherever it came from the oracle of delphi whatever it might be there's a source and if that source is not from the lord then it can't say Jesus is Lord. And if it is from the Lord, it can't say Jesus be cursed. And so there's this way of testing, ultimate proclamation. And again, you know, oh, a non-Christian can't say Jesus is Lord. Well, yeah, they can say it, um, but what they aren't going to do is actually mean it, right? There's yeah. a, a discernment that has to take place within that there. So but Paul's first, first point then is you have to discern uh, what spirit it is that's speaking and, and test the message and the message, the test ultimately is who is Jesus? Now, I do think that's problematic today because obviously, you know, one church says this is who Jesus is and another mm -hmm. church says this is who Jesus is and we all think Jesus spoke to us and therefore you should you should vote for this party or and no, you should vote for that party. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus can't be saying, you know, both at the same time. I think we have to be careful with that, but this is ultimately is the test is who are you giving your ultimate allegiance to? Is it Jesus Christ as Lord or not? And that's something we should probably do more of is when we use the word Jesus as Lord, attaching the concept of allegiance. Because yeah. that's that's really what is being meant there in the same way the, the Corinthian church is hearing Jesus as Lord in just juxtaposition to, oh, Caesar is Lord, though. You're talking about allegiance at that point. Yeah, exactly. And that's obviously what the message of the book of Revelation is about. Is it, you know, mm -hmm. what, do you have the mark of the beast or, or the seal of God in your forehead? Is to whom are you giving your allegiance? So that's right. You, yeah. As Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. Yeah. It, it's also interesting because when he talks about how you're being led astray by mute idols, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about how Paul is taking the Shema from the uh, Old Testament, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he's he's talking about these this concept of uh, these false gods that are being worshipped against the true God and the true Lord, meaning God, the Father and Jesus. So he's, yeah. he's already laid the foundation for that. Yes. But let me add one thing to that also. And that is, as we go through the New Testament, we're going to see this more and more and more that false gods and false Christ and false prophets look really good. Mm -hmm. And often, you know, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, as we mm -hmm. see in Second Corinthians. You'll see in the book of Revelation, some of the imagery for Christ is applied to the, you know, the false beasts. Obviously, they're, they're, they're explicitly beasts, but one of the beasts, like, he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Oh, you know, there's there's that parody in the book of Revelation where yeah. you have you have the the unholy trinity parroting yes. the, the, tr the the holy trinity. So you have you hear the, the lion and you see and it was one like a slain lamb. And just like you have this beast who appeared to be uh, recovered from this mortal wound. So you see the same the slain. The yeah. one, it's exactly the same phrase yeah. as mm -hmm. if he was slain. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The point of that then is it's not always so easy because deception is a very powerful tool mm -hmm. and deception often looks good. It's like, how could anybody follow Hitler and the Nazi mm -hmm. propaganda? And the answer is it's really easy. Yeah. If you're stuck in the middle of this, as, as once you buy one idea, then the rest start to follow. I, I was going to say, but like, you know, you think of like the Jim Jones cult, right? It, it was at the seventies, right? When yeah, that happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, so were you born then? I was born in 78. So I think it was this no, before, it was before me. you were born then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But so people aren't going to sign up for drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. 
right? right? But but they'll sign up a couple of years earlier in San Francisco, and they'll buy into the stuff when it seems normal, and then they'll all decide to move down together to uh, South America or wherever it was, and then they'll lead to that. And so these things happen incrementally, and this just becomes a constant warning throughout the New Testament. Once we get into more of the letters, it's like almost every letter is warning the church of the false things that are happening within the wolves with uh, who are uh, in sheep's clothing. I mean, this is the idea. It looks legit, but it's not. So you got to use discernment. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so they might be mute idols, but there's a voice behind them. Exactly. And Paul's like, Hey, you want to be, be discerning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I would even say with that too, I mean, you and I, in a sense, like I said, you're older, you're older than I'm much older than I am. I I mean, I'm I'm a wee lad, but I think both of us were also raised in a Christian subculture that, uh, I've never had this conversation with you, but I'm sure it was there. There was that boogeyman kind of idea where the idol itself, you know, the thing itself is going to, is going to, you know, cause problems. Even music itself, it's going to create a beat that's going to cause, or, or this one thing, you can't have this piece of plastic uh, that could be a demonic toy or whatever, you know? And, And it's like, okay, I would say there's a demonic element behind the false idol, but the the false idols in itself don't do anything. It's just, it's a piece of plastic or metal or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. There are spiritual things out there that are bad, but we also don't want to become boogeymen and assume that like, you know, just things themselves are the boogeyman. So anyway. Right. Yeah. 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 You end up demonizing something that isn't demonic. Yeah. And then somebody else looks at you and goes, you guys are just wackos. Yes. Yeah. 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 But then taking seriously that there are demonic things out there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in verses four through six. Yeah. We see a couple of things because we have, like in, in verse four, we're, we're saying the same spirit in verse five. It's talking about the same Lord who yep. in, in Paul's writing, he usually identifies Lord as Jesus. Yes. And then in verse six, we have God who is usually identified as father. So you have this Trinitarian kind of formula there. Yeah. And it's important to point this out that this occurs often throughout the New Testament. But if you look at the uh, carefully, if you're listening uh, in verse four says there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Verse five says there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And verse six says there are varieties of workings, but the same God. Mm-hmm. And so the use of variety in each of the three verses, the use of the word same in each of the three verses, gifts, service, and working are three ways of referring to the same thing, uh, spiritual gifts. And so the idea then is spirit, same spirit, same Lord, same God. It has to be a Trinitarian formula there. And obviously then Lord would clearly be referring to Jesus. Yeah. And it's not Trinitarian in the sense of you don't go here to prove the doctrine yes, of the Trinity. Right. And a lot of this language is something that needs to take a couple more centuries to be worked out to say, right. what do you do with this? But you could definitely see that Paul is Trinitarian in that sense, where he yeah. is putting all these three persons on the same side of the equation. Right. One thing that anytime I'm teaching about this topic of spiritual gifts, I contrast it with Galatians 5, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. And in, in Galatians 5, Paul is saying like, if you have the spirit, you have these things, love, joy, peace, patience. You don't say like, oh, well, I have the fruit of the spirit and I have love, but I don't have joy or, you know, it's like. I definitely the, have patience. I'm working I, on that one. But, exactly. Yeah. When we all have different degrees of those things, but sure. I think Paul's point in Galatians is these are fruit of the spirit and they're going to look different because everyone is different, but this is what it should be. He's not saying that with spiritual gifts, but he right. does seem to indicate that everyone has a gift, but we don't all have right. the same gifts. That's correct. That's correct. In fact, let's go ahead and read verses 7 through, through 11, and, and, and we'll point that out. Okay. You want to read it again? Yeah. So now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gift of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So there's obviously several kind of agendas that Paul has in kind of getting at this. First off, though, he's talking about the nature of spiritual gifts, and he stresses that each one, uh, to each one is given this. They're all given from the same spirit, but they're given to each person. And for uh, the key, I think, is in verse seven, they are given for the common good, for the purpose Mm -hmm. of building up the community of God's people. And I think this is really significant for us to understand. Every one of us has a spiritual gift for the purpose of building up uh, the church according to the will of the Holy Spirit. Can I ask, let me ask a question that could be potentially, uh, I'll just say it. Okay. <laughs> so I, I recently taught through the book of Romans and it, when it got to chapter 12, yeah. I made the comment and, I, and I'm going to stand by this. So we'll see if we agree or not. Okay. But when you look at people like faith healers, so and, and I'll gladly name a name. Also, it's like a Benny Hinn. Okay. Like I have major issues with Benny Hinn. Okay. And I think people should run and not at all engage yeah. that man in anything yeah. because I think he has some harsh judgment coming towards him. Yeah. Sadly, uh, sadly very sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I do not believe that if he has a super, I think a lot of what he does is, uh, you know, snake oil, but yeah. if there is a supernatural thing going on, I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's a spiritual gift. What he's doing is not for the edification of the church. Uh, he's right. going on, he's putting out shows. This isn't something practiced, practiced in a local congregation. It's not something that's done in terms of a body. It's done for show and it's increasing his own wealth. So I would say that's not a spiritual gift. It might be something supernatural, but I don't think it's by means of the spirit. Yeah. I would say, even if we go back to the beginning of this chapter, it's not, it's not exalting Jesus as Lord. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another way of looking at it. And the answer is, Pharaoh's magicians did the same miracles that Moses' magicians did also, right? So this isn't something, and by the way, speaking in tongues is found in many religions of the world. Yes. So just because you can speak in tongues doesn't mean that it's the gift of of the spirit of of, of tongues from the Holy Spirit. In fact, from what I understand a little bit, and I could be wrong on this, you can actually teach people to speak in tongues. It can be Mm -hmm. taught. Mm -hmm. I actually had people try to teach me one time, and I'm like, I don't think this is the way the gift works. Yeah. It was, it was a wacky kind of experience. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah. And they're like, no, just start babbling, Rob. Just and, and, and it'll start coming out fluent. I'm like, I don't, I think the way the gift is given, a God gives it to you, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I could be wrong, but but I'm like, ah, I'm not gonna keep babbling though eventually something becomes the idea of it becomes eloquent and fluid and and, uh, and fluent. You have, you have to be careful about that. And that that's correct. Yeah. Other religions can heal, mm-hmm. other religions can work miracles. So a cool thing I realized when I studied this topic years ago is that you don't have one comprehensive list of spiritual gifts uh, in, in any of the, the books in the New Testament that talk about this. And so like Romans 12, there's many of the, the gifts that are listed there that are not here. Right. And that's an important thing to, to recognize. Sometimes what we think when we go to the biblical text is, oh, this is the chapter where Paul spells out everything we need to know about spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, Paul is responding to a situation in which spiritual gifts were part of the conversation. And so he addresses that conversation there. Mm -hmm. And 
but that doesn't mean he's comprehensive in his conversation. So for example, Jesus addressed an issue regarding divorce. And then Paul comes along as we discussed in an earlier podcast and says, oh, by the way, let's also add this provision. We can't look at Jesus and go, okay, he's telling us everything we need to know about divorce. It's only permissible in this one instance because Paul comes along and says, hey, guess what? And so it's the same idea here that Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, but he's not, okay, here are all the gifts. It's like, no. And we know that because, as you mentioned a second ago, that in Romans 12 and even Ephesians 4, you can kind of look at those as offices. That, or First Peter 4. Uh -huh. Yeah, that mm -hmm. you have places where there are other gifts that are mentioned. So yeah. this isn't necessarily a, a comprehensive list. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's where one of the things that I know, especially seminary helped me gr growing up in church, which is very theologically oriented. We read everything as systematic theology. So we oftentimes read when, you know, like a first Corinthians and we assume that this is everything it has to say exactly, on the topic. Exactly. Uh, and that's what systematic theology does. It harmonizes things. And so we need to make sure that we're taking the context seriously and saying, okay, no, this is what Paul was saying to this church. The Corinthian church obviously wouldn't have read the letter to the Romans because it hadn't been written yet. Right, yeah. <laughs> but if the Romans had never read the Corinthian church or the Corinthian uh, letter, right. they would have no concept of the gift of tongues because Paul does not mention that in well, chapter have, 12. They may have it because they may have experienced it. But not because of the, not yeah. because of the teachings itself. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. And so just, these things are not comprehensive. Uh, and that even, I, I think that uh, helps us think in other things. If Paul does not include everything in any of these letters, right. are there other things that we could say, hey, this is a spiritual gift uh, that it might not be included? Uh, and one of the examples I use is uh, music. I'm a you know musician and I worked there for many yeah, years. I mean, you've heard me sing. I've heard you sing and you do not have the gift of oh, worship leading. Oh. <laughs> so a way to get your gifts confirmed is to talk to Vinny and he'll make Vinny. sure he lets you know. Yeah, you, be you Because I have the spiritual gift of exhortation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I get the spiritual gift of rebuke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But but I know people who are fantastic musicians who are the professional musicians yeah. who are Christians who are not good worship leaders. Yes, yes. And, and vice versa. I know people who are great worship leaders who actually aren't good musicians. Uh, and you could tell that this is a spiritual gift because it's something that's meant to be given for the edification of the body. Okay, um, but let's go another level with that too, because there are people that are really good teachers that aren't Christians. Yes, very good. Right. And so does that mean they have to give their, no. Sometimes the gift of teaching is an enhancement of a gift you already have. Yes. God created you with the ability to sing or God created yes. you to like Vinny, to, to the ability to play the drums and you mm -hmm. learn that skill. Mm -hmm. And now the question is whether you're going to use that skill yeah. for the edification of the body. So God gifted you as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And now are you going to use that skill and that gift for teaching? And I think it goes a little bit further, like, you know, the difference between spiritual gift of teaching in the church and teaching in, in the public. I think there's a lot of overlap, like leadership skills, administrative skills. Sure. I know people that are just like, this guy's a dynamic administrator, unbelievable. And the point of that is now, hey, would you now take that gift of administration and use that in the context of the church there? Yeah. Yeah. But and not always, though, because we could say, I know people who are really good leaders in the corporate world. Yes. I've seen it where we assume that since they are a good leader and they've oh. had success that, oh, we should make this person an elder or, or some kind of uh, position. And it's like, oh, but they actually don't have that kind of leadership. And so I, I totally affirm what you're saying. Whereas yeah. if you've been gift, gifted a talent, we should check to say, hey, is this also a spiritual gift? And it could be, but not always. And so that's, there is a difference between spiritual yeah. gifts and talents. Well, how about sometimes people are dynamic leaders in the corporate world and they're CEOs. And leadership is a skill they have, 
but as a CEO, they're the chief man in charge or woman yeah. in charge. Yeah. And then they come into the church. And what and Paul's they, telling us is we all have gifts that are all to be used for the edification of the body. And you aren't the CEO. Exactly. And just because you are the CEO of some massive corporation doesn't mean that you know how the best way for this to work within the context of a, of a local church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think yeah, and I've definitely seen that in different experiences where you have someone who high level leader with tons of responsibilities, overseeing multi-million dollar budgets, being being the dude, but they don't know how to lead unless they could lead with letterhead and with, you know, whatever you want to call that with, with our rank, you know, and so because yeah. it's easier to lead with your rank when you're the boss, but that doesn't work when you're working in a plurality of people where it's yeah. about, a, you know, a brother, sisterhood, you know, family uh, leadership style. Yeah, it's also easier to lead when uh, the people below you have a job at, on the stake exactly. and, that, and they don't want to exactly. lose it, right? Yeah. So they have to submit to you. Yeah. Whereas in the, in the church, you're 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 leading together collectively yes. for the greater good of not the corporation or not to make money, but for the gospel, uh, for the cause of the gospel. And there's this necessary humility that has to has to come in there. So yeah, um, okay. all right. If we look at the list of gifts, they they kind of. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know that we want to break them all down and kind of um, parse them all out, but, you know, uh, words of wisdom in verse eight and words of knowledge, a distinction between the two is that knowledge is knowing something, information and understanding, whereas wisdom is applying it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know a lot of people that are really intelligent that have no wisdom at all. Yep. Right? Uh, and I know some people that are extremely wise and they're not yes. even very well educated. Yep. Uh, gifts of faith, obviously, is just an the idea is. We all have faith, but mm -hmm. some people have a gift of faith. It's a divine ability to trust in Christ beyond the normal. And as a result, even miraculous things might come about as a result of their things there. Mm -hmm. uh, what's interesting now, I think, and depending on a different context, and you said you, you, know, you have a Baptist background. I have a Baptist background. I have um, a non-denominational background. We both have ex that experience there. And I have a Presbyterian background. And healings and things like that, it seems like so often... We go, well, God doesn't always heal. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's kind of a good thing that God always doesn't always heal because sometimes people just need to die, right? He's <laughs> 180 years old. We just keep praying for his healing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can't get out of bed or do anything, but he's still alive. You know, God, bless, bless the Lord. It's like, no, let the person go on to glory, please. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, uh, faith healers that wear glasses, I gotta, <laughs> there's a problem here. I, it, I, it's it, hilarious. I've noticed that. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen him too. <laughs> I've seen him on the pulpit mm -hmm. telling if you just believe God will heal you and the guy's wearing a pair of yes. glasses. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you not see that? Okay. I just, just want to point that out. Sometimes we, we, talk, we stop and go, well, you know, God doesn't always heal. And if he doesn't heal because and I prayed for it, I don't want this person to lose faith. So I'll, I'll craft my prayer in if it's your will, oh Lord. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's bad. But it almost becomes a way of us saying, I don't really believe it is your will. Yeah. And I'm not, and I don't want to get my hopes up too high. Uh, because I don't want them to be disappointed. I don't want to mm -hmm. be disappointed. My experience around the world and the church around the world is they really believe. Yeah. You know, uh, they they really believe and they really believe in the power of prayer. And they pray often and they believe that God can do miracles and he doesn't always do them, but they really do believe. And I think that we miss out on something here uh, because we are so, and uh, our, I guess we'd say uh, rationally minded, intellectually driven, as opposed to that 
kind of trust uh, there that that's so prevalent in much of the world. So I love in uh, Daniel chapter three, when Rakshak and Benny are before Nebuchadnezzar and, it, you know, they're going to get, you know, their consequence for not uh, bowing that's down. That's a VeggieTales. It, that uh, is a VeggieTales reference. reference. Yes. I, I only watch VeggieTales. VeggieTales. I, Veggie <laughs> I love Broccoli, celery, celery, gotta be. Vegetables. Who okay. <laughs> says I can't sing? I clearly. Yeah. Okay, you, maybe not. you nailed <laughs> it. People are worshiping. They're driving right now, and car accidents just happen because they're driving. <laughs> you just almost spit out your water. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let's do it again. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. I was going to make a significant point if there. You are raising your hands. Please keep one of the wheel. You keep one. <laughs> we we don't want. I was listening to the podcast, officer, and, and and I just I just had to I just had to worship because they were like veggie tales, you know. So anyway, when Rakshak and Benny are before Nebuchadnezzar, and I, and I love what one of the boys says. You know when they're going to die, and <laughs> you can't take this seriously. Is it because I said Rakshak and Benny again? <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna work. <laughs> okay. I don't know what Rack Shack. Just call him Shack. I don't know what I'm gonna do. You're gonna, gonna have to because there's no way we're gonna get through it. Oh boy, we can leave this in the podcast. Uh, people will be going, "Wow, the <laughs> spirit is overcoming them." <laughs> we have this the spirit of laughter. Whatever happened in the uh... there's okay. a gift of laughter. All right, here we go. All right, I got this. I, we can do this. We, we totally got this. <clears throat> All right, so while we're on this subject, though, because this is a controversy in terms of the types of gifts, and we oftentimes uh, distinguish between the the charismatic gifts or the the you know those kind of gifts that. Um, you know, things like prophecy or speaking in tongues or healing. There's kind of like this this separate category where everyone in the church nowadays would agree that there's things like the gift of teaching or the gift of administrating mm -hmm. or, or helping or serving. Like everyone agrees with that. Right. But then you do have mm -hmm. these divisions, especially like in the Baptist tradition in many other uh, Protestant traditions, yeah, yeah, yeah. we would say, hey, there's some that have ceased. And right. so usually you have this terminology uh, known as cessational, uh, right. cessation, where that means though there's gifts that have that ceased from continuing on. They, 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 were, uh, they were there for a time with the apostles, right. but they stopped, they ceased after that. Or you would have what's called the continuationist view that says, no, the, the gifts have continued on. So like our Assembly of God friends, more charismatic and Pentecostal friends, they would believe that these things uh you know would continue on today it's not limited to them right but those would be the ones that would be you know folks would be more more familiar with so I, I don't i'm just curious where do you land on this topic not that it has to be a yeah. binary yeah. either this or that it right. probably is more of a spectrum uh, but i don't know how do, how do you yeah well actually so one of my professors in uh for my phd program actually is one of the leading cessationists out there uh richard gaffin i i just can't buy it because my own experience has been I've seen things in the global world, in the global church, and I just can't. It's not in my position to deny the the reality of, of what's happened there. I do think that there are cons out there and that there are fakes and frauds yeah. out there and there are people making a mockery of the church and making money off you know prayer hankies and all mm -hmm. and things like that all, uh, and all that. But I, I so I don't deny it. 
I think there's something to be said for it. I, you know, I kind of grew up in a tradition that said, you know, oh, the charismatics are out of control. Yeah. It's about self-centeredness and things of yeah. that nature. And, you know, the Toronto blessing started mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. You know, and a number of years ago. But I, I know people that are charismatics and they're people of great integrity. Yep, yep. And I think we just need to be careful about being overly judgmental, overly critical is kind of where I'm at. So I, I'm open to it. And um, again, the the moment where they try to teach me how to speak in tongues it, it, and I, I'm like, I'm not doing this. So I've never spoken in tongues. I've had people say I'm not a Christian because all people speak yep. in tongues. We'll yep. get to that later. I, I'm open to it. And I just try to be careful about being uh, too critical or judgmental of other people. Yeah. And, I, and I'm in the same boat where okay. I've never experienced those things. I've never experienced speaking in tongues, but I have people who I respect and I know well who have. And so uh, how am I supposed to discount that? Right. Uh, I, I do have friends who grew up in that tradition, a very charismatic traditions who have now what we could call deconstructed and hearing from them. And these are people who have gone on missions. They've, they've done legit stuff in terms okay. of dedicating their life uh, to what they believed at the time. And what they'll, they'll talk, talk about now, how, you know, I did it, I did it for years, but it was totally forced or, mm. um, I did it cause I felt like you had to do it or, you yeah, know, yeah. like the emotional yeah, draw yeah. that was there. And, and because there was such an emphasis there at the time of, of being in, you know, ha- having the charismatic gifts and you didn't feel like you fit in if you didn't see so a forced it. And so it's like, okay, well, obviously I don't want any part of that. And that's one of the things that pushes them off. Uh, and right. it's just so heartbreaking because it's, the gifts that become the issue for someone uh it's not jesus yeah <laughs> it's not christianity and, and that's it's just heartbreaking when we make these audio offer things these secondary things the primary thing yeah 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 all right looking at a couple other gifts here really quickly uh the gifts of prophecy is often misunderstood mm-hmm. um, i think uh, we talked about this in a study of you know biblical interpretation for example you know the prophets were not interested in predicting the future Correct. they were interested in exhorting the god's people today to be obedient to what god has commanded them to do uh, now obviously the prophets of the old testament for example would say and if you're not obedient to what god's told you mostly they were looking back to the book of deuteronomy if you're not obedient to what god said in the book of deuteronomy then god also said he would do this and so when they say he's going to do this they're predicting but they're predicting based on what God has already said yeah. and your faithfulness or unfaithfulness in regards to it. If you've been faithful, then blessings are coming. If you've been unfaithful, then curses are coming. But they're more concerned with your act in the, in the present. And in fact, if you repent, let's say you've been unfaithful and you repent, then it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And obviously the Jonah story is an example of that. I'm not going to go because they're going to repent and then you're not going to destroy them. You know, Prophecy in the New Testament is essentially the idea of exhorting the people of God, the faithfulness in light of what God has has spoken. It's not revelatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we typically would look at the office of an apostle and say that's on the level of an Old Testament prophet. So kind of the office of apostleship is this revelatory, uh, authoritative pr- pronouncement, whereas a prophet in the New Testament is someone who's authoritatively speaking upon what God has already said. So a great sermon or a great uh, preacher would often say he's got a prophetic zeal and he's, he's speaking into the day of the culture, what God has spoken and what God is speaking to the people and to, to the culture. So there, and there can be a revelatory sense in that, but I'm, he's not like revealing that God's going to do this or God's going to do that. He's like, Hey guys, I want to call you to obedience to the word of God. Cause I think you've gone astray. Now teaching 
would be someone who's effectively communicating the word of God and the scriptures and the truth of, and the truth of those scriptures. And those two can overlap, but they can be distinguished. Mm-hmm. And the way I like to think of it is, you know, when I started preaching on a regular basis as the full-time pastor, I went in and said, okay, my gift is teaching and I'm going to teach and then I'm going to exhort at the end. Whereas someone that's more of a, has that prophetic gift of preaching is, is doing more of the exhorting and, and admonishing and not as much as the teaching. And so those two overlap there. And I think, I hope that makes, does that make sense to you? What, yeah, what, yeah. The distinction I, w- I was actually going to ask you, how would you distinguish between prophecy or being a prophet and teaching? So I, yeah, I think yeah. that's a great way of okay. distinguishing. Uh, yeah. Well, one way I, I wanted to you, uh, clarify, you did bring up the idea of apostle and the way you described it is they functioned more as that Old Testament voice. Do you distinguish between uh, like what I would call like a big A apostle and a small A apostle? Where would you say that the the big A apostle, that the person who uh, I would say the criteria for that is someone who experienced the risen Jesus. Uh, these are the people who are, you know, giving us scripture. These are the people who God is communicating in a way, keep communicating through in a way that is specific and that does not carry on. Whereas I would say a small A apostle, I mean, it, you know, it's a spiritual mm-hmm. gift here, but that's, I've understood that to be more aligned with what a, kind of like what a missionary would do. It's a sent one. Uh, so wow. I, I'm curious how you would distinguish. Yeah, I don't two. distinguish that way. I don't see a big A, small A apostle. I see an apostle. Okay. And so I think apostle is an office in the church that requirement seems to be what you stated, that they were appointed by and sent by the risen Christ, and that ceased. So okay. I don't think the gifts have ceased. I think the office of apostle has ceased. And I think you see an indication of that in this text. Because Paul says, you know, he's going to give at the end of this chapter, if we ever get there, he's going to say, you know, first of all, apostles, then prophets, then, you know, then teachers. Mm-hmm. And, right? and then he's going to say, and eagerly desire the greater gifts. Mm-hmm. And then in chapter 14, he's going to say, desire the greater gifts, especially prophecy. And you're like, well, I thought you said apostle was like number one. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's your indication that Paul's like, hey, that's not available. I also am a little cautious of that because I think it's abuse because there are apostolic yeah, churches yeah. and denominations that believe that they are they have the gift of an apostle and as such they can make authoritative declarations that nobody else can contend against because it's revelatory mm-hmm. yeah I, I think that's dangerous and so I, I i wouldn't make that distinction at all i don't see that distinction anywhere in, in the new testament and, and what you're what you're playing on though is the idea that, the, that an apostle is simply one who is sent mm-hmm. um, and a missionary is one who is sent but i would never use apostle for that i think apostle is specifically a term okay limited as an office of the new testament uh, church okay all right let's go on to verses 12 and 13. just as a body though one has many parts but all its many parts form one body so it is with christ for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Yeah. So notice, I think what Paul's getting at here again is this, this unity of the body and the importance of, of each one of us. What's interesting is his list in verse 13 says, whether Jews are, you know, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves are free. And he left mm-hmm. a male, female off yeah. right, from the list in the, uh, in the book of Galatians. Mm-hmm. And we, I think I, I hinted at this in our discussion of First Corinthians, the first part of First Corinthians chapter 11. I think that was one of the issues mm-hmm. in the church was male, female. And so Paul kind of left that off because I think it would be too much of a, of a, of a jab uh, ultimately. But I think it's implied uh, even still. And the answer is we don't make distinctions with Jews or Gentiles, no, no, no ethnic distinctions. 
We don't make distinctions between slave or free, you know, socioeconomic, and we don't make any distinctions between, between genders. We're all made to drink of the same spiritual drink, and we're all members of this one body in Christ. All right, let's uh, read out the next few verses. So verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one body, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Yeah. And, and again, just to reiterate, and, and I, I was thinking about this a little bit. I'm not sure if I've been clear on this in our conversations on the book of, of First Corinthians. I think the people that wrote to Paul were the people that were kind of agreeing with Paul and on his side and saying, yeah. hey, these are the problems that we're having in mm -hmm. our congregation. These people are still saying these things. So when he's responding to a letter that they wrote to him, it's the people that are on his side that wrote it to him. Interesting. And they're talking okay. about the people that they're having problems with. Uh, and again, I think that the primary issue is those people that were honored within the Roman uh, Corinthian culture, uh, the, the leading, some of the leading men, and their status within the society and the culture and their honor was kind of at jeopardy there. And Paul's like, listen, here's the way it works. And that within the body of Christ, we're all members of this one body. And you can't say that one's more important or more necessary uh, than the other. Okay. So, uh, verse 21 through 26. Okay. The, the, eye cannot say to the hand, I don't not, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor and the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honors to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts shall have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Which just this makes me think of Romans 12. Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah, yeah. Let me kind of go back on something a little earlier in the text, in, the, in this passage for a second. It says, those parts that, verse 22, those parts of the, uh, of the body which seem to be weaker. Notice he didn't say that they are weaker. Mm -hmm. But I think the, what's implied is the fact that you're saying they're weaker. Mm -hmm. And Paul's like, okay, I'll grant you that they seem to be weaker. And, and again, weaker is a sense of, a, of an, a um, societal position of less power. Right? They, they lack power and prestige and honor within society. They seem to be weaker. Paul's answer is they're more necessary. Those members of the body which seem to be less honorable, we give more abundant honor. So notice he says they... We deem them less honorable, but we give them more honor. Those parts which are less presentable become more presentable. So he never validates that statement about the weaker. And he's like, okay, the, the ones that are less honorable, we just give them more honor. The ones that are less presentable, we just make them more presentable. But he doesn't, he doesn't say the offsetting for the ones that are weaker. I think, I think there's an important uh, understanding there that Paul's like, I'm not granting you that these people are weaker. I'm granting you that they seem to be weaker and that you are oppressing them and putting them in the situation. But at the end of the day, Paul's answer is the result is that there's no divisions in the body. And, and again, I think we look at this 
in a sense, often in our churches, like, oh, you know, we have to all be in agreement on this, or we have to all, you know, work together on this. And the answer is no, no divisions in the body doesn't mean we don't agree that, that we agree on everything. No divisions in the body means that we're working together for a cause and, and for the gospel itself. And so my thought is we should do it this way, but everyone else thinks it should be done that way. So I guess I'm going to have to submit to what everybody else wants here. But another thing to think about is this. I think that there are divisions in the body that we just don't ever even think about. Because I think if you were to ask people that are handicapped, do they feel inferior often in their local churches? They say, absolutely. I think if you ask people that were single, they would say, yeah, I feel, I feel less important or less valued than, than the married couples. Uh, if you would ask people that are elderly, I think they would say, yeah, you know, the church wants to move in a younger generation in a younger way, and they just don't listen to our voice. I, I think there are a lot of groups and a lot of individuals that we have deemed less important and less valuable, and we are not fulfilling what this text is actually saying in here. And then I think, and I think we've we've talked around this or at this issue at other times also, and, and I don't want to belabor this too, too much here. I, I think we need to also go, you know, hey, I don't agree with Catholicism and much of Catholicism, but I'm also going to respect the fact that I have brothers and sisters in Christ that are mm-hmm. Catholic. And I don't agree with charismatics and all, but I'm, I respect the fact that there are brothers and sisters in Christ there. And I don't agree with all the right-wing evangelical stuff, but I'm going to agree that there are brothers and sisters in Christ there. And somehow we need to work together in that. But when we put other brothers and sisters in Christ down, we're causing divisions within the body and often to elevate ourselves, what we do, right? We're not only causing divisions in the body, but we're making a mockery of the church because that person, that non-Christian is out there looking going, these guys can't even get along themselves. Yeah. It doesn't elevate you at all. It makes more of a mockery of the gospel there. All right. And then one more point here, and I'm not sure if you have something to say here or not, but verse 26, I think is so critical. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And I think the next thing that I think we need to recognize is the fact is we are members of the body of Jesus Christ. I am a Christian who lives in America. I'm not an American Christian. And there are Christians who live in Russia. They're not Russian Christians. Mm -hmm. And I think we put Christian first. And the reality is, therefore, that is my brother or sister in Russia. That is my brother or sister in whatever country that might be. And we are all members of the one body of Christ. And if they're suffering, I'm suffering or, or we're suffering. If they're being honored, then we're all being honored. Because I think so often we think, oh, I've done my responsibilities for the church within my local community. My mm-hmm. church is doing great. I supported, I gave, I contributed, I volunteered or whatever. And the reality is, hey, you might have other resources, time, prayer, uh, talent, um, financial resources. You might have gifts of leadership and administration. And the American context is we're, we tend to be very well educated and have lots of experiences in corporate corporations and leadership and medical training um, and teaching. And our pastors are usually well educated. What if we sent them and allowed them to go overseas or, or allowed them to work in some, hey, you know what? Pastor, we want you to work 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week for us, but we're gonna, we want you to give five of those hours mm-hmm. 
to, to teaching people in, in, Af, in Afghanistan or teaching yeah. Christians in Pakistan or teaching Christians in North Africa, whatever it might be. Because we have a responsibility to them. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, I get emails regularly from Christian leaders in various parts of India where I do a lot of my work right now. And they're just like, we don't have Bible colleges around here. We have no training. We're too poor. We can't afford to go to Delhi to get training because we can't afford to go there. And that's where the Bible college is. We, we need something here for us. And would you do it? And, you know, and I mean, the email I got today is, hey, you know, maybe your daughter could, could teach some of our children. Like, my, my daughter's in college. I don't think she's going to be able to do that. But they're that desperate for teaching mm -hmm. and training. And I think that's when we begin to realize, hey, we are all members of the body of Christ. And if one member suffers, uh, the other member suffers with it. And I think we need to take that uh, in a more global context. Yeah. The first time I was really challenged on this was actually by a Jehovah's Witness, who uh, obviously we would not include in the uh, category of our brothers and sisters around the world, right? People who we love uh, and, and appreciate their zeal, but we would not include in our family. But I remember one time hanging out with the Jehovah's Witness years ago, and one of his ways of affirming the Jehovah's Witness uh, religion is that he said, one of the reasons why, what did he say? Jehovah's Witnesses will not go to war is because how could you say if you have if you have Christians living in other opposing countries, how could they go and fight each other? Right. Uh, and so that's that's one of the reasons why they've seen. And I'm like, that's actually a really good thing to think about. Yeah. You know, what do you do in in a World War II right. where you have German Christians fighting American Christians? Right. Uh, and and it, it's not to deny that there's major atrocities or anything yeah, or right, evils. Exactly. You know, yeah. uh, but what do you do in these instances? What do you do in a in a, an American civil war? when you have Baptists from the North fighting Baptists from the South. <laughs> Russia, Ukraine today. Yes, Ukrainian exactly. Christians and Russian yes. Christians. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, that, and that's something where because we take our passports more seriously than we take our global uh, uh, identity in the universal church, like that's a problem. Uh, we, we, we can't be defined. And I, I state this constantly in my classes. We cannot be defined by our uh, by our paper passports. Those will expire one day where our heavenly citizenship will not. And so we right. need to take that very serious. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess if we want to step out for a second, and you may not have to agree with this here if it gets you in trouble or whatever, <laughs> I, I respect that. I think we also need to be careful about having a political or theological ideology mm -hmm. that we impose that actually does harm to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. So, for example, someone may have a theology that says the Jewish people are going to come back to the land of Israel in the last days. That's what God's going to promise. And God's going to do. Okay, you can have that theology. That's great. But when you impose that theology and that ideology so that you uproot local Palestinian people, some of whom are Christians and have lived in that land since the time of Jesus, and say, guess what? You have to go and make room for these people. I don't think that's justice. And I think that also is your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, I'd love to tell down another path here a little bit, but but I think we need to think about these things a little bit more carefully. Absolutely. Totally agree. Totally agree. Let's uh, let's finish out the, the section. Uh, yeah. Verse 23 through 31. 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of help, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? 
now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Mm. So is there like a, a, a ranking of importance or what, what's happening here? Lists are important. So we, we always look at how, how someone, a biblical writer would emphasize these, right? In terms of yeah, uh, yeah. order. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I've just been struck right, when, when you were reading that, that based on the conversation we just had, I, I, I left out some conversations that I think might be pertinent to just kind of add to that really, really, really briefly. I mentioned the fact that uh, people that have uh, disabilities feel lesser in our congregations and we, we, we divide them. I mentioned older people. Mm -hmm. I mentioned singles. I didn't mention women and I didn't mm -hmm. mention uh, racial issues. And mm -hmm. I think that's something that we have to reckon with the fact that our theology and ideology has um, uh, caused suffering uh, within people, within our congregations and within our communities. And I think that also includes race. I think we'd also include, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but uh, race and gender, I think are, yeah. are issues there also. So yeah, at the end of the chapter then, to pick it back up, um, there's a little bit of, you know, Paul seems to rank. I think he does. You know, Gordon Fee is a great uh, biblical scholar who, you know, uh, just recently just passed away tragically, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, did tremendous work for the, for the kingdom and for the, for the gospel there. He argues that Paul is not ranking them, um, but I think he is. I think the fact that he says, first all apostles, second prophets, and third mm -hmm. teachers, I think this is a ranking. I think the fact that tongues is at the bottom of the list was intentional by Paul. And I think the list... And the rankings of the list is based on how much it benefits the rest of the body. And the idea is the fact that prophets and teachers have this edifying ability to exhort and encourage and teach the body of Christ, helping them grow in the likeness of Christ. Uh, I do believe strongly that the spiritual transformation happens primarily through the word of God living and active and being living and active. And therefore, when it's preached and when it's taught and when it's prophetically uttered, uh, I think that's the way transformation happens all the way down to tongues. And as we'll get into in our next, not in our next session, but in our, in our uh, couple episodes here when we do chapter 14, uh, Paul's going to talk about, hey, tongues don't identify anyone unless they're interpreted because mm -hmm. no one even knows what's, what's being spoken there. So I do think the list is in order uh, there. But as we said earlier, I don't think the list is comprehensive. I think there are things that are not on this list. For example, on this list, he doesn't add interpretation of tongues, which he does, which he does add uh, in, in a few verses later. And ultimately, he just concludes, do this and eagerly desire the greater gifts like this is something that it's it's not a bad thing to desire these things yeah it, which is interesting because he makes a similar uh, statement in first timothy three like it's noble to desire the office of overseer like right. it, and that's something i think i come up against when i'm just talking with people in the church they feel bad for or like they're being arrogant if they want to do something like become a teacher or become an elder or do something like that. And it's like, they have to be asked and brought into it because God forbid they actually demonstrate that they have a desire or passion to do these things. Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes those are the best leaders because they are the humble kind of people, but it's not bad to have a desire to do something and to actually uh, serve the body. Yeah. And let me also mention this, you know, it's so easy to give credit to the pastor who's up there and preaches these great mm -hmm, sermons mm -hmm. and attracts the great crowds. And that's why our church grew was because of the pastor or because of the dynamic children's pastor who got all the kids to come in and, and has a great children's ministry and does all these things. But the reality is it can't be done um, without people to have the gift of helps yeah. uh, doing their gifts. And then when you're in pastoral ministry, you realize this doesn't happen on Sunday morning without a lot of the sound guy doing the sound stuff mm -hmm. and coming in an hour and a half early before I even got there sometimes 
and getting things set up. And it doesn't happen without cleaning off the chairs. Or, I mean, there's so many people that do so many things that no one even sees because they come in when people aren't even noticing that are so vital or more significantly. When I was in, the first time I was in India, there was a group of, of individuals 24 hours a day, they rotate like two or three hour shifts, constantly in prayer for the courses that I was teaching the entire two weeks I was there. Wow. It's like, and no one, they're in a room, no one even knows. Without their prayer, the dynamic transformation that's happening in the classroom isn't happening. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, oh, great teacher. Like, no, no. The power of prayer of these individuals is what's really transforming. So I, I think when we start looking at these gifts and go, oh, I don't have these gifts. Like, guess what? They're all important. Mm -hmm. You have a gift. You need to find out what it is. And maybe we can speak to that next time since we've gone long uh, tonight. You have a gift. Find out what it is and use it for the sake of the well-being of the body of Christ. Yeah. So Very good. Cool. I think we've said a lot. <clears throat> yeah, we laughed a little bit, too. <clears throat> I, we the people didn't see this, but we had about 15 minutes where we were not able to function. No, it, it was 15 minutes. It was, <laughs> so the bunny, the bunny. So yeah, yeah Veggie Tales of Scott just, just took over. It, it was the power of the spirit is what it was. It, it was. All right, everyone, hopefully this edifies you. Think about this week. If you've never considered the idea of spiritual gifts, if you've come from a tradition that might not emphasize that, Hey, it, it's in the Bible and, uh, mm. you know, first Corinthians 12 is just as inspired as Ephesians two <laughs> and some of those other things. So let's, let's pay attention to it and see, uh, what does that look like for you in your, uh, your local congregation and the church universal. So check out that we will dive back into it next week when we talk about chapter 13, which is continuing on this idea and we will catch everyone next time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.